Hi there, this is Andre, and you are on the Marketing Innovation Podcast Show. Our special guest today is Kylan Ginger, serial entrepreneur, podcast host, and president of Acquira. Today, we'll discuss the role great marketing plays in preparing a company for valuation or and exit. So without further ado, Kylan, it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. How are you? How's your morning going? Let's crack on. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Andre. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good. It's it's early here. I'm located in Montana, USA. Uh, it's it's very cold outside. We're starting to get some snow. Woke up early for this, and uh, I'm I'm stoked, man. Let's do it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Did you have your coffee yet? I <laughs> uh, yes and no. I'm drinking decaf these days because we're trying to okay. go on a we're trying to get away from caffeine for a month or two. See how it goes. So I'm a week, two weeks into that, and so so far so good. Uh, okay. but decaf coffee is, is kind of the savior there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say, the first week or two are the hardest, right? To cut down on caffeine, then you should be easy. Yeah. For, for, fortunately, it wasn't that. I think it's worse for some people than I had maybe a couple of nights where I kind of woke up with a headache. Besides that, not, not massive effects, but it feels good to be have the self-discipline to be off something you've been on for years for, for some time, but I'm hundred percent going back. I'll, I'll drink caffeine again. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. Okay. So interesting stuff, interesting times. Uh, we have a very interesting subject today as well. And I'm really looking forward to the stories because I know you have quite a few that uh, we'll go through. I think just uh, for people, so, you know, because we do this in audio and video formats as well, and some people research more than others, I think let's just make it easy for everybody tuning in today uh, to let them know uh, a bit of your background, who are you really, and what you do. And then we can go into subjects and discuss strategies and all that jazz. Let's do it, man. Uh, so me, I'm a jack of all trades, master of a few. I've done a lot of things in the last, I'm, I'm 32 years old. I've done a lot of things in the last you know, a little over a decade. Uh, I was in the military. I got out of the, out of the Navy in 2012 and promptly started a uh, residential and commercial painting company with a really good friend of mine. First business I ever started, just wanted to cut my teeth, didn't want to work for anybody else and thought, hey, we'll try this thing. So I gave him a thousand bucks. We bought a van. Uh, we started hitting the road, knocking on doors, trying to paint houses that quickly grew to, we had operations in six different states and learned how to hire and manage employees and also not manage employees. There's plenty of mistakes there. Almost went bankrupt at one point. Um, through the course of building that business, built a couple other brick and mortar retail businesses, uh, got into the house flipping game. Uh, I started a podcast called Successful Dropout that you know grew quite, quite popular learned a bunch of different marketing stuff there, you know, how to kind of niche down, be a big fish in a little pond and stuff like that, that worked mm -hmm. pretty well for me. That eventually transitioned to me working with one of the first guests I had on that podcast who bought businesses. And that led to eventually over the next three, four years to Acquira. I learned a lot about buying businesses instead of starting them from scratch as I have been and how to identify great businesses and businesses that had great marketing or a lack of marketing that we knew we could add a lot of value to post, post acquisition. And that leads me to where I'm at today. Now I work with Acquire, I'm part of the founding team there. And in a nutshell, we help people buy businesses instead of starting them. So I mentioned house flipping before. I imagine a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the concept of house flipping. You buy something, you fix it up, you turn it around and sell it for more than you paid for it, or you hold on to it, let it cash flow. We're talking about the same thing here when it comes to business buying, just with businesses, which is a little bit more complex all around, mm -hmm. uh, but is uh, especially here in the U.S. Uh, a, a fast growing interest among the entrepreneurial community. We call the people we work with acquisition entrepreneurs as opposed to startup entrepreneurs, which everybody's kind of familiar with. So um, that that is me and what I do and kind of the background in a nutshell there. Nice. Cool. So uh, how did you get into Acquira and how did you change your perspective from starting businesses and growing them, you know, the way that you have done before uh, versus, uh, you know, figuring out there is an opportunity there to, uh, first of all, to search for businesses that would be good opportunity, good buy opportunities. And a question here is how do you find them? Uh, and then, of course, how to develop a business around that and to uh, leverage this opportunity. So how do you find, you know, when we go into how do, you, how do we kind of find these businesses to buy or how do people discover business buying? Let's start with um, 
what made you um, discover this opportunity, you know, like make the switch from funding the business and growing it to getting something that is already set up? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, again, the very first guest I ever had on, on the first podcast I started bought businesses, right? I remember I was so nervous. I'd never interviewed anybody before. I chugged a glass of wine beforehand, but we had a fantastic conversation and hit it off. And, and uh, it was a year and a half later or something. He connected with me and said, Hey, come join me in what I'm doing. I'm buying these. At that point, we were buying online businesses, um, content websites, e-commerce, SaaS, stuff like that. And I quickly realized, hey, I've been doing this business, starting business from scratch game for a while. And here I can find really great debt, you know, leverage and ways to buy these companies and step right into an existing customer base, cash flow, and the, the, the returns are much greater and come much faster than if I'm starting something from scratch. I don't have to spend the first um, you know, two, three years, blood, sweat, and tears, trying to build a customer base from scratch, um, build a product from scratch, improve the market, uh, raise funding. It feels like ethical cheating, you know, in, in a way. You're sort of cutting in line in, in the process of owning a profitable business and being working for yourself, right? Being kind of the master of your own, your own destiny there. So, and a lot of people, I think, are discovering the same thing here, particularly in the U.S. We have uh, an entire generation uh, that we call baby boomers that are reaching retirement age. It's millions of people here in the U.S. And the majority of small businesses here in the U.S. are owned by this age group. And they're quite literally the backbone of the economy. And we're talking everything from, yeah, online uh, SaaS companies. Uh, that were started a decade or two ago to you know really boring brick and mortar businesses like HVAC companies, plumbing companies, roofing companies. These are all owned by folks that are reaching retirement age. So quite literally, we have trillions of dollars worth of small business assets that over the next decade are needing to switch hands or they will cease to exist. That they'll just be shut down, they'll die, and you know they employ millions and millions of people. Like I said, backbone of the economy. So. We have a lot of supply over the next decade plus coming down the, the pipeline here. And one thing that Acquire is trying to do is raise a lot of awareness that, hey, you want to own your own business, think about buying one instead of starting one. And when we started out, definitely big fish in a smaller pond, not a lot of people had heard about it. But these days, people are starting to catch on to this idea of acquisition entrepreneurship, and that's what we, we exist to. But, but oftentimes, they don't have the, the capital um, either the knowledge or skill set to tackle buying a seven-figure business by themselves. And that's where we come in. I see. Okay. Um, so you discovered this market uh, through your first uh, podcast guest um, and then um, went into the business. What are you exactly doing with Akira right now? So just for everybody to know exactly how you come into the process of, you know, a business wanting to be invested into or sold to either a private investor or a company. Uh, how do you guys work with, in this case, small to medium-sized businesses? So at its core, I would say Acquira is an investment fund and an accelerator for business buyers. So if anybody listening is familiar with the concept uh, with, with the company Y Combinator, they're an accelerator for, for startups and startup entrepreneurs. You get into their program with an idea. They help you prove that idea. They fund you. It's a launching pad for starting your startup, right? We're very much the same thing, but we're a launching pad and an investment fund for buying your first business. And how we help is again, training. We're very good at training. Um, we're also very good at digital marketing, which means we can get a hold of a lot of people that are wanting to sell their business and also attract a lot of people that want to buy these businesses, aka, you know, me on this podcast is, is one, one way we're attracting people through our funnel to help them buy a business, right? Uh, but we're also very good at, at training. So we've bought a lot of businesses ourselves. We understand on a deep level every part of the process of buying a business, which broadly speaking is... First, you got to know what you're looking for. We call it your investment thesis. There's a lot of different businesses out there, a lot of different industries. Each business, no business is the same. Every business is absolutely unique. To me, it's like getting to know a new person when I when I approach buying a new business. Um, each business has a personality. You got to kind of dig in. There's a lot of different facets and nuances to understand there. So define what you're looking for so you can kind of sort through the mess and 
qualify and disqualify fast. You know, the next step is to actually then find the business to buy sourcing. Where do you look? Who do you talk to? After you find a business that's intriguing, how do you know it's actually a good business to buy? And it's not going to bite you in the ass after if you put hundreds of thousand dollars on, on the line. So there's diligence there to think about. Uh, there's, a, there's a legal aspect to it. There's a very, very heavy people aspect to it. After all, all the business is at the end of the day, it's a collection of people working towards a kind of a common goal and kind of rowing in the same direction, working in unison. So you're talking to sellers, you're talking to brokers, you're talking to lawyers, uh, there's financing. Not everybody has, the, the types of businesses we buy, they're, they're larger. They're, you know, the smallest business we buy might be worth 1.5 million. Mm-hmm. Nobody has just 1.5 million sitting in a bank account. Well, some people do, but very few people do, especially if they're smart with their money, they've got it. So, so how do you find the money to, to buy these businesses and, and leverage them right and kind of have, have that, that capital stack correct? So, and then anybody can buy a business, but once you buy one, how do you then operate it? How do you optimize operations so it runs smoothly? And then how, how do you grow it, right? And how do you think about marketing. And a lot of the businesses we buy have almost zero marketing. So these are all things we know very well. We have training, we have vendors around them. You know, we have legal, uh, legal folks, diligence folks that we connect to you with. We've got well-packaged training that people can, that, that kind of outlines every step of the process. So that's where we come to help folks that are looking for, for businesses. On the flip side, we do we do have marketing funnels and you know, landing pages, stuff like that, for folks that are looking to to sell their business. Uh, but we are we are and we're experienced in helping coach those folks on how to prepare their business for sale. But for the most part, we're very focused on on the the, the buyers as far as if we're talking marketing, how our funnel is built and our business works. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so here I see we have two um, categories of stakeholders or stakeholder groups, if you want, uh, that I know our listeners would be falling within. So one would be the entrepreneur, potentially the investor in this case, that would potentially want to uh, look yep. at acquiring a new business. And then the marketing uh, pro, which would be the person that is responsible for the marketing department and, you know, in a way what you do as well to ensure that the company has a sustainable approach to this sector and, you know, just helping the company grow through marketing. Um, since this would be more of what we have discussed um, so far, I think uh, not, not the last, but the first thing, which would be, you know, acquiring companies and do this stuff. Um, let's focus a bit more on this so we can um, get to some actionable insights and to build a context around a bit further. Uh, this is also very interesting, you know, just f- from a curiosity point of view, I think this, w- this is a very fruitful uh, conversation. And okay. the question that I have here personally, but I think it's relevant to many, is how do you find businesses to purchase? Or where are these folks that want to sell their businesses? How do you guys go about it? So again, I'm, I'm going to be really uh, talking from the perspective of, of somebody either based in the U.S. looking to buy a business or looking to buy a business in the U.S. because that's where the majority of our experience is. And it, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't quite understand the, the business buying scene in the rest of the world. I just haven't put a lot of focus into looking in on it. But I know for a fact that in the United States, there is a unique large supply of these businesses to buy. And a lot of that has to do with this generation baby boomers retiring, right? So in, if you're looking for a business in the US, right? In terms of sourcing these deals, I would, there's two routes you can go broadly speaking, right? There's, there's on, market, on market sourcing. So through brokers, people, you know, third parties that have listed these businesses and there's off market sourcing which is you connecting directly with business owners and asking them, do, would you like to sell your business? Figuring out all that out yourself. Uh, we focus a lot on both. We have a lot of experience with both in terms of on-market sourcing. There's a lot of business brokers a- out there. Since business buying is a new space, the business broker space is not well consolidated or standardized. They're just small business brokers. There's some large firms and stuff. But for the most part, a lot of small, small firms dotted everywhere, each have their own approach to finding and listing these businesses for, for you, the prospective buyer to look at, doing diligence, stuff like that. Not all are created equal. Some are great, some are bad. A lot of the businesses they list are found through a website called bizbysell.com, 
which if folks are familiar with Zillow.com and what that is to real estate, bizbysell.com is, is for businesses for sale. So you can go to bizbysell.com right now and see hundreds and hundreds, thousands of businesses for sale, all different, all different types, right? And most of these are listed uh, through brokers. Now, brokers, they are incentivized by getting their fee at the end of the day. So they'll do a certain amount of diligence. They'll have um, you know, pr prospectuses and, and basically large PDFs they put together on here's, here's what this business is earning and um, the, the, the risks, but the opportunities for growth. Take all that with a grain of salt. You need to do your own diligence, right? Uh, Off-market deals, this is a little bit trickier and we can coach people through this, but if you like cold calling, this is essentially where you're, you're calling up or hiring somebody to call up businesses and asking, hey, do you want to sell your business? And the benefit there is you're not going through a, a broker. You can connect directly with a seller. You can often negotiate a better deal, get a little bit more creative, stuff like that. But the, the con, the downside is you're doing a lot of education and, and you have to be good with people, right? Often sellers think their business is worth 10 times revenue, right? Which in reality, it's maybe worth three to four times their seller discretionary earnings, SDE, we call it, or what they're actually taking home or you know, another close proxy is like the net profit of, of the business. So there's a lot of education there. Oftentimes these small businesses, they could be multi-million dollar businesses earning a couple million dollars a year, but highly, highly disorganized and under-optimized, you know, zero technology in the business, no marketing, finance is done on the back of a napkin. So having to sort through all of that and understand it is, is a chore by itself. So um, th those are kind of the two approaches and we can help coach, coach people through that. Um, and you want to do, again, there's some boxes you, you want to tick when you're first looking at these businesses. Uh, you don't want to buy or engage with a business or spend too much time looking at a business that has some very large red or, or black flags, we call them, which are deal killers, things that just make it extremely unattractive and it's just going to bite you in the butt after you buy it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned there uh, the way that you look at valuating a business. And I think uh, I'm very aware this is a very broad specter of, you know, like what things should you take into consideration when you try to put a value on your business. Uh, there are a number of ways like EBITDA and what you mentioned there as well with, a, um, you know, uh, actual earnings that you take home. So the net profits and multipliers. Um, but would you have um, some examples of a certain business that was coming up for sale and the way that you were thinking of its valuation in terms of things that you were considering and, uh, you know, maybe numbers as well when it came to revenue versus profits and number of people in the team, uh, accreditations and certifications, stuff like that? Yeah, right. valuation is always a very nuanced subject. And, and it's an art and a science, right? At the end of the day, the business business's value is what the seller agrees to sell it for and the buyer agrees to buy it for, right? But having said that, I will say the majority of, so the, the types of businesses we target, just to give folks some quick tar, you know, context, we generally, they're doing over 500K per year in EBITDA. And this means they have anywhere from, you know, eight to could be 25, 30 employees, 60 employees, if they're doing more like one to 2 million in EBITDA per year and you know, 10 to 15 million in, in revenue. The industries that we're, we operate a lot in these days is, is home services. And I can go into why that is, but things like HVAC companies, plumbing companies. In fact, I, I bought an H, or a plumbing company here in Montana. That's why I'm here uh, back in, is almost six months ago now. Um, roofing companies, uh, these sort of steady, stable businesses that are really rece recession-proof, um, urgent, active problems that customers need and, and always need to pay for it. You know, the plumbing in your house is your most used utility probably, and people take it for granted. But if your toilet's broken or your, your faucet's not working or a pipe is leaking in your house, you will call somebody out there to fix it and you will pay that person to fix it even if you have a vacation coming up or other discretionary spending you want, you have to get that, that urgent active problem fixed. So that's why we like these businesses. More often than not, when it comes to valuation, we're buying those businesses at between two and a half to uh, five multiple of 
that yearly EBITDA. So -hmm. if it's earning a million dollars a year, you're probably buying it for somewhere in the neighborhood of three, $4 million, right? If it's Mm -hmm. earning the owner about a million dollars a year. Now there's also some factors that, that go into that, right? How risky is the business or how turnkey is the business? Is it running really well? Does it have a lot of systems in place? Good, good marketing. Is it on a growth trajectory? Then it's going to be valued probably a little bit higher on that multiple scale, right? If it's a, if it's a little bit risky, it could be valued a little bit lower. Uh, or there's a, there are ways it still could be valued higher, but maybe you're looking for ways to mitigate some of that risk directly into the deal structure. So for example, we've had some deals where they have um, some large customer concentration, right? And this is part of our diligence process. One thing we want to look for is where is all this revenue coming from? If, it's, if, if more than 30% of revenue is coming from a single customer, um, that's a, a red flag, potentially a, a black flag, right? Because you have a, a large single point of failure. That customer goes away, that relationship goes away, the business is, is, is cut by 30% all of a sudden. So something mm-hmm. like that makes us a little bit nervous. You could argue that values the business a little bit lower, but the seller might not think so. So maybe another approach, and this is again where the art kind of nuance comes in, would be to mitigate that risk straight into the deal structure through what we call an earnout, which is you, you just take a portion of the purchase price. Say if you're buying that business for a, a million dollars, uh, say to mitigate that risk, you say, but I'll, I'll pay you, you know, 200,000 of that uh, in a year after we buy it, assuming the business continues hitting these certain benchmarks, right? And, mm-hmm. and so that, and if it, if it doesn't, because maybe these, these, these risk factors are, are activated and the business tanks a bit, you don't, you don't get that or now. So that's some ways to think about it. Again, subject we could discuss at length for a very long time and every deal is, is different. That's part of the, you know, the, 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 the art of the deal, right? The, the art of negotiation. Um, but that's, that's some quick context for, for folks. But mm-hmm. I say in that you know, two to kind of four, five uh, multiple of EBITDA is pretty, pretty common for businesses earning 500K to 2 million in, in EBITDA per year in, here mm-hmm. in the US right now. So that would be total profits, the um, yeah. stakeholders' salaries plus dividends, just for the people that don't know what EBITDA is. Uh, c- c- correct. There's a, there's a thing called addbacks, right? Like that that uh, that owner often they they could pay they could pay themselves inflated salaries. Maybe they're they're paying themselves a 200k salary per year, right? And so that's taken away from the EBITDA on on their books. But when they're going to sell it, they may add back, and they write probably rightfully so. They would add back a hundred thousand of that salary back to the profit of their company. Because a new owner, if you're going to step in and hire a general manager or something, you probably won't need to pay him 200K, but you maybe pay him 100, 120K per year. So there's even ways in which when these sellers go to sell their business, their business, they are adding back certain expenses that a new owner would not have to incur moving forward, which, which inflates that EBITDA as well. And you do have to watch those um, as somebody stepping into the business. Not every expense they're trying to add back is is justified. It might be actually a necessary expense moving forward. Like I've seen sellers try to add back, um, and I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but hopefully it's, it's helpful. I've, I've seen sellers try to add back um, certain random bonuses and holiday bonuses and stuff that they give to employees. They try to add that back to the profit of their business to get a higher valuation, saying that the new owner won't have to do that. It's not necessary to operate the business, stuff like that. I would argue against that, right? If the employees are expecting that every year, if it's part of the culture, part of them staying happy, that's certainly part of operations moving forward. So we're not going to add that back and your business will stay at a, a slightly lower valuation maybe. So there's a lot of stuff to this, right? And that's a lot of what we do at Acquira. You're doing the work, right? This is your deal in our ecosystem. You are taking the action, pursuing this thing, but we're there alongside you as sort of your, your Sherpa, up, up this mountain, you know, of, of what it takes to acquire a business. And we can help you navigate all those complexities. Mm-hmm. Okay, super. This was very insightful. Um, and now let's try to move a bit into the other stakeholder group, which would be the marketers. So uh, there is a certain variation that can um, happen in terms of the way that a company is being valued, uh, depending on a number of metrics. But marketing and the sustainability of their in, inbound leads, fun, and so on. So the 
the appearance of it being on a growth trajectory from a marketing standpoint and their ability to uh, bring in leads that can potentially translate into sales so that they can grow their customer base is certainly one. So from your experience so far, um, what are some marketing areas or things that have influenced positively the valuation of a company? And um, further, what can marketers do to help their company uh, get better valued or be more sustainable from that front? Yeah. So if you own a business and you wanted to make it more valuable from the standpoint of marketing, and again, the best context I have is in these home services, brick and mortar businesses we're buying and marketing might look a little bit different there as opposed to marketing on a uh, a, a blog or e-commerce or you know, any kind of digital um, digital property, right? I mean, here a lot of that comes from, you know, we've got we've got PPC, uh, we've got SEO. Um, these businesses get a lot of business just just word of mouth by just existing in the local community for you know two three two three decades. Uh, Reviews, customer reviews are, are massive when it comes to these businesses. Yelp, Google My Business, um, Angie's List. These are all platforms that there's a lot of room for optimization there that a lot of folks don't typically focus on. Um, uh, conversion rate optimization on those platforms on, on your website, um, you know, having your, your number right there at the top, you know, calls to action there. A lot of these businesses have websites that go back to the early 2000s, right? So typically we're seeing if somebody owns one of these types of businesses, there's always a lot of room for growth in marketing. So if, if you're a business owner, getting those things shored up first is, is pretty key. Like you know, practice good SEO, be pushing out, you know, at, at least a, a couple of you know, good, uh, you know, targeted articles a, a, a month. Um, PBC, uh, conversion rate optimization on, on your website. The, the thing that immediately comes to mind, though, for a lot of these businesses is with, with more marketing comes more growth, which means your operations have to change. And that's where we see a breakdown a, a lot of the time, right? A lot of the folks that we're buying businesses from, they don't want the growth that comes along with the marketing because it essentially means they, they need to hire and train more people. And as they hire and train more people, the business to, to, to handle the growth of the business, they need better and better systems and they, they need to run that business and build it like a well-oiled machine. And a lot of people just don't know how to do that or because of their age, they're just done. They're let the business just sort of hum along and they're willing to sell it for whatever it's worth and go rip and, and retire. So that's the other thing to, to, to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say when it, when, when it comes to these businesses, we just we we don't see a lot of of great marketing practices. I, like I'm I'm currently negotiating with a deal that is it's a it's a six million dollar deal. These these folks they do fourteen million a year. They spend ten fifteen thousand dollars a year maybe on on their advertising and marketing. Their website is from two thousand two. Um, all their business is, is relational and comes from word of mouth, right? Now, one of the first things I'm going to do when I step in there is work on that marketing, but e even that will take some time and I have to sort of build the operational base up to the point where we can handle the additional business because right now they just, they just don't, don't need it. So mm -hmm. I don't feel like that answer was as straightforward as it, as it could have been because again, a lot of the businesses we talked to, they just, they don't, they don't focus on it, but mm -hmm. No worries. It was uh, it was a you know a very good context building uh, insight. And maybe the question the question could be put in another way. Um, do you have situations where you were negotiating a business and you were looking at this marketing department activity, and you were looking at their assets, saying, "Hmm, you know, I know you uh, that uh, if they had, I don't know, like X." social media follower base or uh, if they were ranking through SEO on top positions for these and X, Y, Z, you know, things that, you know, marketing wise would be valuable for the business. I would be able to value them at, let's say five, uh, the multiple of five, but because they don't have them, I'm able to get their valuation down and to get this business for less, let's say 3.5 or something like that, knowing that if you apply a certain recipe, 
of success through marketing, then you'll be able to increase the valuation of that business a lot within a short period of time. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, look, if you're if you're a business owner and you're you're focusing on on those things, your social media, uh, you got a great you know PPC campaign out there with your know, proven results and low customer you know acquisition cost, and you've got you you've got SEO humming along and you're ranking organically for. Um, you know, if, if somebody types in again, you know, just the situation I'm in, Plumber, Missoula, Montana, right? And you're ranking uh, up there on top. That that speaks volume. And at that point, you, it's like I was saying earlier, you have a lot, a much more turnkey business. So you can, not, you know, the set the the buyer is not going to want to value you at more, but you as the seller can certainly have an argument for for being valued more, right? Um, the th- but again, me as the buyer, I'm also thinking like, it's, it's great. You could have, because actually this business that, that I bought, they were focusing and in, in investing pretty heavily in SEO and PPC uh, about a year ago, but it was, it was, it was basically a waste of, of money. They were doing a good job at it, but the actual business wasn't set up to uh, serve all the new customers that, that, were, that were calling the phones. Right, so it was they were literally just throwing dollars away and just marketing to, to to market, but the business and the operations were just not set up to handle the customers, the extra customers coming in. So as a buyer, that's also something I'm I'm looking at. So so you're great at marketing, great. Are you actually taking advantage of those leads you're getting and and serving those customers? And is your business set up and, and your team set up and systems are they optimized to serve those folks so that the business can grow as the marketing does? So I'm looking at that too. And those things just need to go hand in hand together. And that's more often the case with, again, businesses we're experiencing, which are brick and mortar physical businesses, right? With online businesses, it can be a, you know, a little bit different of story. If you're selling digital products, right? You don't need a massive uh, operations team to bring in a lot of new customers and, and make money. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yes, this is interesting. So basically, to uh, to sort of uh, get it to a national point or a conclusion for you know the marketing leader that is out here looking or listening to the podcast would be uh, certainly make sure that you know the targets when it comes to marketing to fulfill the capacity of your business right now. So you know you know your numbers and you are able to get there through a scalable model of maybe lead generation or you tackle the SEO bit so that when let's say operations changed and maybe you get new um, uh, new colleagues or the management changes a bit, you as a marketer will be able to bring in leads to fulfill the need for those new clients so that you can fill up the roles. Um, and then for the entrepreneur slash business owner, if you are looking at buying uh, or sorry, at selling <laughs> your business, certainly make sure that you know you have your operations in place and everything clear. And also you can... Uh, I mean, you can use marketing to ask for a higher price or valuation because you, you know, you can use that to your benefit, right? Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah, well said. Super. Okay. Um, so uh, I know you have a mental model. Uh, a mental model uh, you've implemented into your life. Um, how? Tell us about this mental model and how it's impacting you uh, and the business. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a few, I could probably, I could probably go, go through if you want. Uh, I, I, I like, I like mental models a lot. Think about them a lot. There's, there's several, you know, there's the kind of 80, 20 mental model, right? Pareto's principle, right? That, uh, 20% of the work you're doing typically gets you 80% of of the results or, or rather it's the other way around, like 80% of the results you get can kind of be traced back to you know, 20% of the work you're doing. So that's one in a nutshell. There's, there is, when it comes to creativity, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're always needing to be, you know, think creatively, right? And often people think that uh, to be creative, you need to have no constraints. The world's your oyster. You can kind of think of, do, build, create anything you want. Um, I like to put in place creative constraints as, as sort of a mental model, mental hack to, to create creativity. So for example, don't just say, I, I want to start a business, right? That's too broad and, and you'll be slow to make progress. Instead, give yourself several constraints. Like 
I want to start a business, but it should only cost me a thousand dollars. I should, my timeline is three months and in three months it should be earning me, uh, you know, 3000 per month and only take me three days uh, per, per week of my time. Um, and the, the business, the product needs to start with a P or something like th these types of creative constraints will actually help you be a lot more efficient in coming up with a, a creative solution than if you just say, if you have, if you have zero constraints. So um, that's, that's certainly another one. Um, there's another concept I like to use. I think it, it's, it's, helpful for for marketers as well when you're testing new things it's a concept from jim jim collins if you've ever read any of his books good to great built to last um fall of giants i'd highly recommend those but you know he calls the bullets and cannonballs basically and it's sort of like the the concept of um minimum viable product as well but mm -hmm. if you have yeah, if you have an endeavor or something you're wanting to test right he says fire bullets first Right, and these are low, low risk, low cost actions, basically to take to, to test your your theory. And once you start hitting the mark with those, you can then fire cannonballs, which are the the higher risk, you know, higher cost things to actually make make this a reality. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I find myself kind of constantly using that as as well. Um, so those are a few that kind of up in my head that I use on a on almost daily basis. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, and also going to, so we are now stepping away a bit from this very numbers oriented discussions, uh, you know, on business valuation and marketing and uh, the first part of our conversation and uh, going a bit more soft now into, you know, this sort of uh, the, the mental models that you have discussed, which I very much agree to. I think that they are always great to uh, take into consideration in in your day to day life, uh, you guys listening to as well, because this can very much uh, ease your job or um, guard you from investing heavily into stuff that you are not very sure is going to work. Um, Kylan, I know um, you are looking at the company culture a lot. And um, one question that I had for our discussion today um, was, how do you understand a company culture? And what are the ways in which you can establish uh, and control a healthy work environment from your experience with different companies that you have been working with so far? Yeah, so I, I like I like this subject a lot, I like the subject of culture a lot. And it's certainly, uh, it's, it's part of the art part of due diligence when you're looking at a business. One of the scariest things in terms of buying a business is stepping into a business with an unhealthy culture, because that, that can actually be, that's just a bunch of people problems. That can actually be very hard to fix without you know, getting the right, the, the wrong people off the bus and getting the right people on the bus, which is it's firing and hiring people. And that just takes time. You're retraining people. It's a, it's kind of a nightmare to get into a business that has a really, really unhealthy culture. So there's definitely in the diligence process, there's cues that we look for, right? One of the first things you can do, for example, is look at customer reviews, right? Often customer reviews of the business will tell you a lot about the business's culture. Some reviews you'll notice are mentioning certain people or positions in the company, uh, that are performing or treating the customer badly. Um, that's always an indicator. Getting to know the owner of the business is also a big one as well, because they're often an extension of whatever that, that culture is. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of, there's actually, there's a great book out there called, I don't recall the author, but it's called The Culture Code. If anybody wants to learn more about culture and actually breaking down the science of it, I would really recommend that book. This author, he, he interviews and studies some of the uh, most well-known and healthy cultures out you know, in the world, including um, that, that, are, that are very productive, um, including Navy SEALs, uh, the kind of Pixar and Disney creative teams. And he, he, he breaks down what makes these cultures so successful and the science of it. And a few takeaways from there that, that I've always remembered and apply to the businesses I buy in terms of building that culture is First of all, it's, under, it's helpful to understand just at its root, the, the, the word culture in, in Latin, it, it's a verb and it actually means to, to, to care. Um, and if you break down what a healthy culture is, right, it, it breaks down into kind of three components. There's uh, safety, vulnerability, and, and high, high purpose. So in terms of safety, a good culture is a place of 
where people feel like they can belong, right? And he talks about these things called belonging cues, right? A, a pat on the back or, you know, slap on the shoulder or, you know, a fist bump. These environments where you're, you're safe here, like this is family, you belong here. Um, there, there's vulnerability, which is in a company, oftentimes it's just, it's being honest about performance. It's the ability to sit down and, 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 and talk very transparently about what's going right, uh, but also what, what's going wrong and how can we fix it? Let's talk about our mistakes without attacking each other as people, but let's, let's, let's attack our, our poor performance and the systems behind that and, and look at, look at fixing that. So, you know, he talks about Navy SEALs. They have um, after action reports. They go out and do, they do training missions or they do actual missions. And afterwards they have after action reports, which is where they critically break down everything that went right and everything that went wrong and how that's going to change what they do moving forward. And I do that now with our, our technicians out, out in the field. You know, every week we have meetings and we talk what's going right, what's going wrong, what, what's confused. And we have really transparent discussions about that. And everybody knows they're, they're free to make mistakes, to admit mistakes, to work through what went wrong, as long as we can learn from that. And there's no, there's no judgment, right? And then there's, there's high purpose. Um, people have to live for something bigger than themselves. Everybody's looking for that at a fundamental level, I think, including the employees of your business, right? They're, you know, a business, you could argue it, it's there to make money, to serve people or whatever, but what's, what's the higher purpose you can draw out from, from that business that's really going to get everybody on board? You know, for us, we have a plumbing company here in Missoula, Montana. I told these guys day one, I said, I, I want to make this company the, the most highly sought after plumbing company in, in the city. I want to be actually one of the most expensive because we're the best and people know what they're paying for. And I want our technicians to be some of the highest paid and have some of the highest quality of life as opposed to all the other plumbing companies in town, right? So there is starting to cast this vision of a, of a, and then we talk a lot about serving, serving the folks in our communities. These guys are like, um, again, I call them kind of the Navy SEALs of plumbers in the area. I call them the kind of the firefighters of plumbers in the area. They're coming into folks' homes, much like a firefighter. They're having an emergency. Their basement's flooding or something. They don't know what to do. They don't understand how their plumbing system works. And these guys are coming in, fixing it, kind of saving the day. So it's, it's turning what's kind of an ordinary, boring job in, in, into something with, with higher purpose that gets them excited and giving them a bit of a vision. So that's another really strong component. And how do you, how do you tell that story over and over again in, in your marketing, um, in your internal meetings, in your, in your sys business systems? So that's sort of a bit of a breakdown on how I, I think about culture. And The Culture Code is, is a great book mm -hmm. to read. Super. Thanks for sharing. Um... Sweet. So now, as we are preparing to wrap up, um, I had another another couple of questions uh, specifically with uh, to do with your approach to marketing with Aquarva and you know your plans for 2022. Um, if you'd like, maybe to share a bit on what you guys are looking for at the moment in terms of you know your plans for next year, some channels that you are considering for uh, for your activity, and then I think. We can, uh, it's going to be hard to just draw one or two main action points for each uh, stakeholder group, but I think it would be nice to um, help people go away or go home with some actionable points that they can think of or implement straight into their businesses or their approach to business slash marketing post this episode. So, but let's start with uh, what you guys are doing at the moment and what you find interesting or plan to do uh, with your marketing further in the near future. Yeah, sure. I think moving forward, we're looking to do more of what, what we have been, right? which is connecting with more buyers. We've had hundreds of buyers now go through our, our training. We've talked with, with thousands. Uh, so we, we want to continue to do that, just provide education to folks looking to, to buy a business. I think in terms of marketing, uh, a lot of our efforts next year are going to go into connecting with more business sellers, right? As I said, your, your first step is, is finding that business, and oftentimes that can be difficult. And when you do find really good businesses, oftentimes you're competing with a lot of other buyers, especially if they're on-market deals uh, through brokers and such. They're being marketed 
what we're trying to do is connect with more off-market businesses, which means we're building digital marketing funnels to connect with business sellers, rank for certain keywords like I want to sell my business or how do I sell my business or how to prepare my business for sale. Um, these are leading to a, a landing page where we talk them through our process that we have this whole network of really qualified buyers to buy their business, um, that they don't, they're not going through a broker so they can save on, on, on brokerage fees. And the kind of call to action there and how we capture information is through, we, we give them a business valuation, a very rough ballpark. And we explain that, but we say here, give us your business information. And we have a calculator in the background that spits out a bit of a valuation. And that's how we, we stay in touch with them. So you know, early testing on that is going really well and moving forward, we're hoping to build that funnel up more so that mm -hmm. we already have a strong funnel of buyers coming through. If we can get a, a very robust uh, funnel of sellers coming through, those two meet in the middle and acquirer can facilitate that. And so far that's, that's going pretty well. So that'll be a big focus. Um, as far as actionable advice for, for, for some of your entrepreneurs and business owners out there, <clears throat> the advice I have to give where, where I'm in the trenches right now is buying businesses or talking to people who want to sell their business. And if you already own a business, the unless you know for sure you want to keep this thing as a, like a general relational business in your family for, for decades and decades, um, you should be thinking even from day one on how do you prepare this business for eventual sale, right? Because you, if you do it right, you can make a lot of money and use it to retire or start the next you know, three businesses or something with, with, with the proceeds. But People often don't think about this. I, I talk to sellers every day that have owned these businesses for 30 years, and it's only been in the last six months they've started thinking about selling this thing, and they've got, just, they just they could have had years to prepare it, and everything's a mess. So it's, it's simple things. Like, just put yourself in the position of a, of a brand new owner that may not even know much about the industry, uh, may not have run a business like yours. What can you put in place now in your business that's going to make their job easier and your business more attractive, which is going to increase the valuation. So things like it's things like system, like have job descriptions, have, have systems for all, all the different roles and, and responsibilities and things, procedures that are happening in the business, document those, organize them well, uh, you know, do a good job, you know, keeping your books, right. Have, have your finances uh, done correctly uh, and, and clearly and have, have all those up to date, your, your tax returns. That's a, that's a big one as well. Uh, keep all these things updated. I'd, I'd update them every quarter in a, just a, a, a data room somewhere. So you're always prepared. If somebody wants to potentially look at your business to buy it, you can shoot them a link that's been updated within the last you know, quarter, last three months, and mm -hmm. all, all your information is, is right there. So um, you know, work on your marketing, work on your growth, work on your, on your culture, have a really healthy culture and some great customer service. Again, put yourself in the shoes of a prospective buyer that doesn't know anything about your company, that's, that's looking at it and stepping into it. The more turnkey you can make that business, the higher valuation you're, you're going to have when you, when you want to sell it. And starting that process, just please start it earlier rather than later. Um, it, could, it could literally mean the difference of a million dollars in your pocket. Mm -hmm. I've seen that. Yeah, cool. And do you already have the calculator, uh, you know, working or the landing page? Because I think uh, if you're okay and you'd like to, we can also include this in the description of this episode. So people that maybe have, um, you know, their business and they are curious at the opportunities out there. We have quite a lot of listeners from America as well. So, um, you know, people can maybe access it and start a conversation through there with you and Acquira. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if you are a, a person who owns a business that wants to sell it, that URL is acquira.com forward slash business, uh, uh, dash sellers. So A C Q U I R A.com forward slash business dash sellers. And you'll see that, that landing page. Um, okay. Uh, I made a note of it as well. And uh, you guys will have the link in the description of this episode as well to check it out. Yep. Um, and if you're, uh, if you're a buyer, um, you can essentially just go to acquira.com and you'll see plenty of opt-ins there and some videos and some, some stuff. Our team's ready to talk to you as soon as today on what business buying is all about. And if it's something you want to get involved in, we've got some, some programs you can jump in right away. Um, actually, the very first thing you'll do is go through sort of a business buying test drive 
we put you in the driver's seat of a prospective buyer uh, and we give you all the data on a business we've already acquired and we kind of take you through the steps of diligence on that and so you can kind of test drive the idea uh, at first so if you're interested in buying there's there's opportunity there as well that's very cool okay <laughs> super so uh anyway the link to the website is going to be here as well so you guys will be able to find all this information in the description of this episode if you are uh either watching it on youtube or uh, streaming on any of the other platforms um Callan, this was a very very uh, insightful uh talk and i feel we covered a lot of interesting topics it was very interesting to me as well uh since we didn't have these topics covered on this episode before uh, very cool insights on the culture of the company as well. I always thought this would be one of the most important things that business owners should be looking at from day one. Um, really happy that we managed to touch upon it in this episode, even if we only spent a couple of minutes. Uh, maybe we'll be able to potentially organize something in the future, uh, tackling more of this topic and how you, I mean, success stories from the companies that you own, owned or have been involved with when it came to buying and selling and you know, transformations that happened through the, through the process. Absolutely, Andre. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for all the great questions. And I've enjoyed uh, sharing what we do here. Super. Yeah, this was great. So last question, if people want to personally reach out to you or connect with you or, you know, discuss specific uh, subjects, where's best to get to you? Is it LinkedIn or other platform? Uh, feel free. I have a personal website. So my name is Kylan Ginger, um, it, and it's just kylanginger.com. So it's K-Y-L-O-N-G-I-E-N-G-E-R. And on there, you can, there's links to Acquira. Um, there's links to other stuff I'm doing personally, uh, as well as my LinkedIn. And those are good places to reach out. Perfect. Okay. So you guys will have these links in the description of this episode to Kylan's uh, website and the LinkedIn profile as well. Perfect. Kylan, again, very big pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for the insights. Very, very interesting and very inspiring. Looking forward to catching up soon. And meanwhile, best of luck with all your ventures and with the new business that you are discussing right now. I'm sure things are going to, to go great. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you too. Cheers.